Well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we are on um, our last week, uh, this week on the book of Philippians. Um, it's been uh, a great letter for me to work through, thinking about this calling to, to maturity in Christ. And, um, and today we're going to talk about uh, the last, in the last part of his book, Paul expresses his appreciation to the Philippians for this financial gift that, that they've given to him. And in these last verses, he gives us a really different perspective, I think, on what giving is all about in the kingdom of God. And so that's going to be uh, the, the main point of our, our sermon today, is to talk a little bit about what Paul, the perspective that Paul gives to us, on what it means to give our money for the sake of the kingdom of God. So would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we do pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Lord, in any place where we need to be be challenged, that you would call us to obedience and faithfulness. Lord, I pray also for those who may hear this word and feel a load of of guilt or of shame. God, I pray that by your spirit that you would bring your good news to each one of our hearts that both call us into relationship with you and call us also to courageous action in your name. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 14, Paul writes, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to begin by introducing you to a a Greek word. If you've been around the church for very long, uh, you probably are familiar with this word. Um, A lot of Sunday school classes were often named this. It was koinonia. Koinonia means friendship, or it means fellowship, partnership, communion. It's the idea that we have a shared purpose together. When it's used as as a verb, it, it, it means sharing together in something. We're going to talk a lot today about Koinonia. It's used a couple times here as Paul describes the partnership that the Philippians and him share in the gospel. He describes this as koinonia. Koinonia is what you and I were made for. We were made to experience koinonia, fellowship, friendship, fellowship with God and with other people. And the gospel is the good news that koinonia can be restored in our lives. 
in every place where fellowship has been broken, in every place where friendship has been broken between you and God or between you and other people, that can be restored. That is the good news of the gospel, that God is restoring this fellowship, this communion that we were made to have with him and with other people. We were made for koinonia. But as we go about our lives, as we live day to day, there are certain actions Practices, things that we do that erode our experience of koinonia with God and with other people. Sometimes we act in ways that frustrate this intimacy that we are called to and that we were made for. We act in ways that keep us from fellowship and friendship with God and with other people. Obviously, we do that through sin, through doing evil, but also through the various distractions that we fill our lives up with. There are things that we do that... that just sort of kind of wear us out or deplete our soul or keep us from being in tune with God and this relationship that we're called to. But of course, there's other things we do, other practices, other activities in our lives that help us to cultivate koinonia, cultivate friendship with God and with other people. Practices like reading scriptures or prayer, other practices in your own life that connect you to God, taking a walk through the woods or listening to music that's meaningful for you or or sharing a good meal with family and friends. There are certain practices that cultivate this connection, this this koinonia between you and God and you and other people. And according to Paul... One of those practices that connect us to God and to other people is giving. Giving our financial resources. It connects us in this unique, shared purpose, fellowship, partnership sort of relationship that we were made for. In our scripture reading for today, Paul expresses his appreciation for the financial gift that the Philippians have sent to him. But in this really beautiful way, Paul tells them that their giving, this financial gift that they sent, played a role that was far deeper and more important and more significant than even meeting his immediate need that he had. As we look at Paul's words at the end of this letter, Paul tells them, he tells us that their giving and our giving, this act of sending money, created a new opportunity for koinonia. It was an act that actually joined them together as a partner in what God was doing in the world. So as we think about giving today, I want us to follow Paul's example to think about what it means to give our money. And as we think about that, I want to think this outside of the the lenses that we often think about when we think about giving money in church. We sometimes think about tithes and how much a tithe is, and is it 10%, and is it on our gross or on our net? We we think about giving to church in order to to meet the needs of the church or to carry out the ministries or to, to pay the pastors or to keep the lights on or to take care of the building. All of those things are are important and they're pragmatic and practical questions that we have to ask as a church as we think about our money. But today I want to scratch underneath the surface and think a little bit deeper about why we give. What is the motivation for our giving as followers of Jesus? And I want to say at the very heart, the very deepest part of our motivation for giving as followers of Jesus needs to be this. 
the developing and cultivating of friendship, of fellowship, of partnership with God and with other people. So I want to pause for a minute and give you a minute to think about something in silence. I want you to think about the last time that you gave some money away. And I want you to ask, what was your motivation in that giving? What was your motivation? Why did you give that money away? Maybe it was the offering plate today. Maybe it was some organization this past week. Maybe it was a homeless person on the street. What was your motivation for giving some money away? I suspect if we are honest, we know that there are a lot of mixed motivations in in why we give. We want to see something happen. We want to see something good in the world happen. Maybe we just feel like we should. Maybe we feel a little bit guilty. Maybe we want to feel generous. All of those different motivations are normal, and and most of them are, are right and good. But I suggest to you today that what Paul teaches us is that our giving, at the very heart of it, as followers of Jesus, our giving should be the purpose of creating friendship, creating partnership, of creating koinonia with God and with other people. In God's economy, money is this incredible tool that he's given us to create and sustain friendship. And for all of the other good and right motivations that we might have for giving our money away to church or to organizations that we appreciate, underneath all of that is this call to give our money away as a tool to create friendship, partnership, fellowship with God and with other people. Verses 14 and 16, I want to read it for us again. Paul says, it was good of you to share. This is the verbal form of the word koinonia. It was good of you to koinonia in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me koinonia in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Paul reminds the Philippians that he thanks them, that they were one of the first churches to help them, and over and over again, that they helped him whenever he was in need. But in these verses, Paul lets the Philippians know that when they joined with him, that they were sharing with him in the work that he was doing and in the trouble that he was experiencing. In other words, this relationship that this money created created a mutual relationship between the two of them. Paul is trying to say to them that he hasn't become obligated to them because they've sent him money. Check yourself here for a moment. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you, and you can see where this hits you. Sometimes when I give my money away, there's this subtle shift in my heart that suddenly puts me above the person that I'm giving my money to. Is it just me? We give our money, and that somehow makes us feel superior to that other person. Creates an obligation for them to repay me, or at least thank me in some way. To give is to get some glory. 
to be the good guy in the relationship, to be the one that holds some power in the relationship. When we give, we get some glory. We get to be the one that's generous. And so when we think about this matter of giving and receiving, I think most of us would rather be the giver than the receiver. Because we don't want to be on the other side of that equation sometimes, under this obligation to repay in some way. This attitude of giving and receiving that I think can be very subtle in our hearts, that kind of attitude does not create koinonia. And so Paul in these verses is very careful to frame this matter of giving and receiving in the context of partnership. Your gift did not make me your client. It did not make me obligated to you for anything. Your gift, in fact, generated partnership. It generated us sharing in my troubles and sharing in the good work that God has called us to do. Paul says that when they gave to him, that they shared in his trouble, his suffering. He's here in prison. And so he says to them, your sacrificial gift was a participation, a sharing, a koinonia with the trouble that I'm going through here in prison. But not only that, your gift also benefited the good work that I've been doing. When they gave their financial gift to him, they became participants, fellow sharers in the good work that God was doing through him. Because they gave financially, he was able to continue his work, and his work, in a way, became their work. They partnered with him in it. Paul says that he hopes that they get some credit added to their account because of the gift that they sent to him. When we give to the church or to some other ministry or some organization that we believe is doing good gospel work in the world, a part of your life is being extended into the life of that ministry. The work that is being done by that pastor or that missionary or that that worker, whatever they're doing, your life is joined. You are partnering with them in that work. And so when you give your offering to the church, there is a part of you that is sitting in the hospital room caring for someone who's sick. When you give to the church, there is a part of you now that is in Tatabanya, Hungary, with Matthew and Melinda Edwards proclaiming the good news on the streets of Tatabanya. When you give your Financial gifts to the church, there is a part of you with inspiration ministries and Steve being the hands and feet of Jesus who are going through addictions. There is a part of you that is meeting the needs of people in poverty through inasmuch. There is a part of you that is sitting with me on a Friday morning preparing a sermon to give to God's people. By giving your money away to a church or some other ministry that is doing gospel work, you are participating in that ministry in a very real way. This is koinonia, partnership, friendship that is created through giving in the name of Christ. When you give to the church, you are not giving as a consumer to get some sort of product. You are not only giving merely to meet some need, You are giving in order to create and participate in koinonia, some partnership in the gospel. 
That's what Paul is getting at here. In God's economy, our giving doesn't buy us a product. It doesn't merely meet some need. It doesn't simply solve a problem that's in the world. It may do all of those things. But in God's economy, our giving joins us together in real partnership with one another, in friendship with others who are doing work that God has called them to do. And I think that that is a a wonderful motivation for us as, as we consider our giving That this is not merely, God doesn't need your money in order to solve the problem. He doesn't need it. He owns it all. But he has given us this opportunity and this gift to take what he has given us, to see that as a gift given from him that we then pass on for the sake of partnering with him and partnering with other friends that we have who God has called them to do the work. Verses 18 through 19, Paul also reorients our giving in another way. Paul says, I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The financial gifts that you give to the church or to other ministries doing gospel work in the world is ultimately money given to God. Paul reminds the Philippians that when they gave to him, they ultimately were giving to God. And Paul says that that gift was a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to God. What a beautiful picture. This is language drawn from the worship in the temple and the tabernacle where the priests would make sacrifices on behalf of the people to God in order to restore them to koinonia with God. Because of their sin, because of something they had done, because of something that had made them unclean, they had to offer a sacrifice in order to restore that relationship with God again. And Paul says here that their financial gift served that sort of function in their relationship with God, that it restored some element of koinonia between them and God. It was an act that joined them in relationship and partnership with God. Our giving is this act of worship. And in God's economy, our money, when we give it away, actually joins us with him in a a very real way and makes us partners with him in the work that he is doing in the world. So that's part one of my sermon. And I just want to wrap up um, the book of Philippians by uh, giving us a a challenge that I think this book offers to us. And I want to kind of finish by telling you a short story of something that happened to me last week as I was preaching my sermon last week. It's amazing sometimes that when I'm preaching, how many other thoughts can be going through my head as I'm preaching a sermon? It's a really strange phenomenon. If you are a teacher, maybe you kind of have this feeling of I'm giving this message, but I'm also thinking about other things. And so a lot of times what will happen when I'm preaching is I realize that I've actually bumped up against a problem that my sermon didn't fully solve. (laughs) Like some sort of logic or biblical problem that I didn't really recognize on Friday or Saturday as I was writing it. But as I'm preaching it, I'm like, oh man, I don't think I fully quite understood that part. Or I didn't say this as, com- more, as well as I could or as completely as I could. So this happened to me last week as I was talking about the rich young ruler. 
The story of the rich young ruler is the story of this, this man, and he, he really has everything that the world has to offer. He's got money, he has status, he has influence, he has the respect of people around him. And on top of that, he's just a really, he's just a good guy. He follows the rules, he follows God's laws. And yet, he was discontent. He had everything that the world had to offer, and yet he was discontent. And so I talked about that um, in talking about contentment and how we need to be content, that the things of this world will not make us content. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, wait a second. This discontentment was actually a good thing in his life because it led him to Jesus. Later in the afternoon, Katie asked me, she said, Ryan, are you ever going to teach on holy discontentment? H-O-L-Y, holy discontentment. And I made that connection between that thing that happened to me as I was preaching with this question about holy discontentment. Discontentment isn't only bad. That it actually creates something in our heart that moves us toward God or that moves us toward good work in the world. There is a discontentment that we talked about last week that's very worldly. It's a discontentment that I don't have enough that this world offers. That person has it better than me. Life's not fair. That group gets it and I don't. But there is another sort of discontentment that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is holy discontentment. It's a discontentment in our spirit that reminds us that not everything is okay in our world. Not everyone, everything is in okay in our lives. It's an invitation from God to seek him. I want to suggest to you that this was at least in part what, is hap- what was happening in the life of the rich young ruler. The spirit was gnawing at him. All of this good that you have is not ultimately what you are after. It's not what you finally want. There's something more, rich young ruler. There is relationship. Koinonia with God is available to you. And that discontentment caused him to go and to seek out Jesus. Now, we know in that story that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions and he could not in that moment do what Jesus called him to do. But I have a hunch and a hope that that discontentment didn't go away in him. And that maybe that that young man came around. Where is the holy discontentment in your soul today? Maybe there is a discontent where you look at the world and you see some wrong or some injustice in it. And maybe God is calling you to respond in some way. We've talked today about the way that the giving of our money can be a participation in the work that God is doing. Is there some discontent in you that when you look at some hurt or some suffering or some injustice in the world, or you see that there are so many who do not yet know Jesus or so many who are in poverty and who are suffering, is, that, is there some discontentment in you that is causing you to act or to move? 
Is God calling you to give a response, to give your money or your time or your energy or your gifts to join with him in bringing about his work in the midst of that wrong or injustice? Or to bring his name to a place where his name yet isn't fully known? Or maybe the discontentment hits a little bit closer to home. It's not out there, but it's, it's in here. Some of you in your own life, you know that there's some shortcoming, some gap between where you are right now and where God is calling you to be. Maybe there's a relationship in your life, maybe your relationship with your spouse, maybe your relationship with a family member or a friend that isn't where it is supposed to be and you are discontent today. Encourage you to allow that discontentment to be a doorway to move toward Jesus to move toward a place of growth and maturity that God is calling you to. I suggest to you that that discontentment, that holy discontentment is the very place where Jesus wants to do his greatest work in your life right now today. It's right there in that place where there is this gap between where you are and where you know that you should be, that God wants to step in and bring all of his divine resources to rescue you. The book of Philippians has held out in front of us this gap between where we are and the maturity that God calls us to in Jesus in our relationships with one another, in the ways that we think about our money, in the ways that we relate to God. So I encourage you this week to read back through the letter this afternoon, sometime this week, and ask what teaching or example of maturity is God holding out to you as a challenge for your life? As you read through the book, ask where is the discontentment that I'm experiencing in my life, even either out there in the world around me or in my own life? And where is God calling me to join with Jesus, to partner with Jesus, to grow, to become more mature, to take some action, to address some need around us that will be a partnership with him in the work that he wants to do in your life or in the world? I want to challenge you to do that this week. Read through the book of Philippians. And ask, where is he calling you to act or to walk into deeper maturity in your life today? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you have made us for this koinonia, this fellowship, partnership, friendship with you. And God, I pray that we would see all of life, the money that we have, the time that you've given us, the relationship, the other resources, the gifts that we have as one more way to cultivate and develop and experience the koinonia that you have made us for. In Christ's name, amen.